Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast with me, your host, Danny Kennedy, and you're listening to episode number six. On today's episode, I'm going to need you to bear with me, guys, as the audio quality is not great, although the content is well worth the listen. As I sit down and have a chat with Director of Athlete Performance at WSSC, Christian Woodford. So we're going to start the podcast off with Christian telling you a little bit about himself, and then we'll get into the questions. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Um, so obviously, as Danny introduced me, I'm Christian Woodford. I am the owner and director um, of Woodford Sports Science Consulting. We actually um, we design and implement high-performance uh, training for athletes of all levels, all ages, and all sports. <clears throat> um, I was very lucky to start in this industry um, 10 years ago. Um, before that, I actually did complete an undergrad in exercise science. Um, I was lucky enough to be um, allowed into complete an honours project in neuroscience. Um, and then obviously through that, obviously anyone who works in the industry has to complete a Cert 3 and 4 to be eligible to actually become a personal trainer. So my, my background actually started just like anyone else's. I started as a personal trainer in just a general commercial gym. Um, that's where I kind of started applying my, um, uh, my craft, if you will, <clears throat> just for general population clients. <clears throat> and then I did heaps and heaps of um, uh, free work experience at um, Oakley Chargers, um, Football Federation Victoria, uh, Melbourne Victory Youth, um, Victorian Institute of Sport where I was an intern. I was actually lucky enough to intern out at um, an NCAA Div 1 college at Maryland University in their football department. So I went, I went to the States. That's why they did in the States, and um, I interned on some really good performance coaches there. Then I came back and I had the idea um, to start a performance-based company, a level applied sports science company inside Australia because I kind of felt there was a massive gap in the private sector with actually athletic development, injury prevention and rehab programs. So I actually um, wanted to expose Australian athletes to a high-level standard that's actually evidence-based practice. I came back and I started Woodford SSE with the goal of really increasing awareness around applied sports science and really pushing what we do and creating more jobs for these um, aspiring performance coaches to actually use their knowledge. Um, came back and kind of blew up. Um, and if you would ask me, did I think this would happen? Probably not. But if you know anything about me, I just give an absolute crack. I'm passionate. I love what I do. So within four years, we've actually got four performance centers. We've got 30 plus staff. We've got six directors. We've got a food line. Um, you name it, we've got it. So I'm very lucky to do what I do right now and keep developing Australian athletes and keep keep developing the name of applied sports science in Australia. Yeah, sweet. And yeah, like I've been, I've obviously been lucky enough to do a bit of training with you um, over the past year. Yeah. And um, I've kind of, even in the past 12 months, I've been able to see like, how much WSSC is still growing. It's going through the roof. Um, so it's awesome to see. One of the yep. questions I wanted to ask you and I think the listeners will be interested in is what's your take on strength and conditioning for athletes in season and also out of season? Like what's your philosophy on how they should approach their strength training? I think the, the biggest thing is where um, there's so much information out on the internet at the moment, like so much, and um, it, it can be right and it can be wrong. And a lot of a lot of athletes in general, they kind of, they take everything as, like they read it from a guy who's got like 
200,000 fans on Instagram or 200,000 likes on Facebook and they take it as gospel, yet most of these guys have no background in applied sports science or S&C for athletic development. So the biggest thing is if you're going to get information, get information from guys who actually do a job in athletic preparation, be it elite sport or be it in the private sector. Anyone who really knows um, what applied sports science is a critical um, in season, look, I'll tell you this, all year round strength training is critical. I don't care what sport you play. I don't care what level you're at. Strength training is critical in, off and pre-season. Now, if you look at the off pre-season period, that's where there's no um, there's no games. There's obviously still training, but that's where you can really get, really build a base and really develop that, that strength, that power, that speed base that you can really increase, which is so important during the um, off and pre-season period. In season, a lot of people don't know this. So if, if you're listening here, this podcast and you play a sport, it's actually critical to lift in season. Um, the reason for that is I want you to think strength. If you look at well, if you look at the power equation, just remember everything we do in the gym is just a, is just a form of general sports specific conditioning. There's nothing I can give you in the gym that's a hundred percent sports specific. So when anyone says sports specific training, that's a load of shit. The only true way of sports to be conditioning is the skill itself where you get the specific muscle group, motor pattern, metabolic pathway development. That's 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 specific training. Anything in the gym is just a supplementary way. Um, so I want you to think when we're in the gym, we develop strength to maximize power and speed because they're the two most important adaptations because the athlete who can produce higher power outputs or has high, is quicker in terms of his velocity, his speed, will normally be a better athlete. So um, if you look at the power equation, for example, power equals force times velocity. Force is one part of the equation you have to develop. When I say force, that's strength. So I want you to think if you stop strength training, if you are not trained for strength, force, you are losing it. So a lot of people think they come into season, oh, I'll drop my strength training off, I don't need anymore. Um, that's where they start getting issues because once you drop your strength off, your power and speed also decrease concurrently. What I mean by that is, in layman's terms, you get slower, you can't jump as high, you feel weaker, and these are all the things you need as an athlete. So as much as it's important, you see a lot of amateur athletes in the um, off preseason period, they lift and they do high volumes of lifting. They come in season, they drop it off, and by week five, week six, they're detrained. They've, they've minimized that strength stimulus, they can't jump aside, they can't run as quick, they can't change his direction as effectively, and that's where they start getting injuries as well. So it's critical to listeners to understand a periodized program is the best. When I talk about periodization, it's just breaking down training into blocks. Um, and my advice is get a qualified, someone who understands periodization, someone who's an actual performance coach to program for you in the off-season, pre-season, in-season. That's why I push evidence-based practice. Yeah, Awesome. And and I guess a lot of my listeners, as you'd probably imagine, are into the hypertrophy side of things um, as well yep. as athletes. Yeah. And I, I know the stuff that we've done in the past, the, the ways that you go about your hypertrophy work, but what is your opinion um, on on programming for hypertrophy and what do you think is kind of the sweet spot for in regards to sets and reps and, and whatever it may be? Let me, set, let me, let me preface this by saying... The most important thing for hypertrophy is um, nutrition. Um, that and, and kind of if you look at you look at body composition composition change in general, so fat loss, muscle gain. The most important thing for fat loss is nutrition. So calories in, calories out, and that's not not even my area. So the first thing for me is someone comes to me 
for fat loss, which very rarely happens. I'd say 99% of my clients are performance-based or rehab-based. But for everyone out there, if you want to drop body fat, you want to gain mass, the first thing you want to look at is your nutrition. So my advice is go to someone who can write you up a nutritional plan, who can explain all the macronutrients that you need, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. Um, That's the first thing you want to look at. If you look at hypertrophy training as as a general rule, um, I have three factors to increasing your volume of your muscle. Now, for me, I look at hypertrophy for two reasons. One, to improve body armor because most of my athletes are contact baseball athletes like football, rugby, um, gridiron. So you want some form of body armor. So hypertrophy is important for that. And number two, I improve it and I like to improve the hypertrophy, the size of the muscle to increase force generating capacity because a bigger muscle has a potential to be a stronger muscle. So for me, I want to improve my athlete's functional hypertrophy so I can use it as force generating capacity. So I can use it for power. I can use it for speed. So that's that's the reason why I look to use and maximize hypertrophy. Now, when we look at hypertrophy, there's three factors to hypertrophy. Number one is mechanical tension. So the, the, uh, we call it uh, time on attention. So how long the muscle is under tension. Number two is metabolic stress. So when we talk about metabolic stress, we're looking at that, um, if you know anything about um, uh, anaerobic glycolysis, which is just a metabolic byproduct. We're looking at lactate and hydrogen. So it's the first two, um, mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and the last one's muscle damage. So the amount of volume you get through. Um, so if you look at your sets and reps, um, so they're the three factors that I always look at. I think, once again, I go back to nutrition, which is so huge. You can train all you want, but you don't eat, you don't grow. Um, so if I was to look, I mean, there's no – this is people always talk about. I talk about a lot. There's no magic bullet when it comes to um, developing strength. So, like, you know, someone comes to me, what is the best set rep scheme for strength, power, hypertrophy, strength, endurance? Let me say to your viewers – there's no perfect set rep scheme. The best set rep scheme is what works for you as an individual. Um, a general guideline for me that I use with my guys would be anywhere from three to five sets, anywhere from eight to 12 reps, and the rest periods could be anywhere from 90 seconds to two minutes. But I will say this, um, literature is looking these days is <clears throat> to allow longer rest periods. They're moved away from your minute to two minute rest periods and more towards longer rest periods because once you drop your rest periods you actually decrease performance of the set um what happens is you can't finish you can't maintain that intensity and intensity is a good indicator of hormonal response post strength training so your testosterone your growth hormone your insulin growth factor one um so these days i've been giving my athletes a bit longer rest period so they complete they can maintain that intensity the weight lifted they can uh, maintain the uh, intensity of the weight lifted, um, and that means they can get that hormonal response. So, look, you do grow, and that's another thing, you do grow under lower reps. You still grow under six reps or less, um, but, I mean, traditional traditional hypertrophy loading has always been three to five sets, eight to 12 reps, uh, 90 seconds to 120 seconds um, rest period. But, once again, it's just what works for you, um, and your athletes. So that, there's general guidelines, Danny, that I'll give to your listeners. Yeah, cool. And I guess on the other end of the scale, something that you and I both see a lot is yep. females kind of leaning towards not doing strength training uh, yep. in the belief that they're going to 
get too big and bulky and whatnot. What's your opinion on strength training for females? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, this this one's an interesting one. Um, the reason why this has been pushed and it keeps getting pushed in terms of um, thank you. Um, in terms of my old man just made me a coffee for everyone out there. Thanks, Jeff. Um, <laughs> um, strength training in females, right? Because you've got all like these Fitzbo women and they do all this body weight stuff, which, hey, that's fine. If you like that and you do that, that's fine. But there, if you look at the three factors to metabolism, um, basal metabolic rate is the first one, BMR, which is directly related to how much lean body mass you have on your body. Thermogenic effect of food is number two, and exercise is number three. So if you look at all three of them again, the first one is number one, the most important, so basal metabolic rate. Now, once you remember, basal metabolic rate is um, uh, correlated with how much lean body mass you have on your body. When I'm talking about lean body mass, I'm talking about everyone out there, um, uh, muscle tissue, right? The best way a female or anyone in general can improve their lean body mass is through, you guessed it, strength training. So the best way you can raise your metabolic rate overall for all the females listening is by resistance training, strength training. So the more muscle mass you have your, you have on your body, the higher metabolic rate, the more calories you're going to expend at rest, the less fat, more muscle you're going to have. And that's a good thing. That's what you want. Now, I think the biggest thing, Danny, for um, women is they look, they, they have this, um, and this is anyone, this is every woman I've ever met, They've got this connotation that when they lift, they're going to look like these bulky male bodybuilders. And for everyone out there who's listening, those female bodybuilders, they are on steroids. They are on um, uh, they are on um, external, um, as you could say, external supplements. They're, they're, they're raising their, um, their testosterone up. This is artificial. It's not, you know, it's not in their own bodies. They're going to lift the weight. They're going to be big and jacked up. Um, that's because they take some form of steroid. Um, I don't know exactly which one they specifically take, but it's some form of steroid, and that's why they get big and bulky like that. So for all the women out there, I want you to think everything with, within fat loss will come uh, – it will be working around as much lean body mass you have on your body. So the number one uh, – well, first of all, once again, for hypertrophy nutrition, nutrition will always be number one for any body composition change. Number two for your arsenal will be strength training. So focus on that because muscle tissue is metabolically active, meaning you have to expend more calories to maintain it. Um, and I've always said that you can go around and you can do all these body weight, you know, fancy squat jumps. You can do these split jumps. They're all fancy. They look good. At the end of the day, they are not putting on – they will not put on as much lean body mass as strength training. So focus on strength training and see your body composition completely change. Awesome, yeah, it's definitely, I think it definitely is improving, but there's still a way to go, but with more people um, like yourself starting to promote or promoting strength training for females and, and the females now starting to see others doing it and seeing that they're not going to get big and bulky, it's yeah. definitely heading in the, in the right direction. So I've got a couple more questions, um, a little bit of time left. So um, the next one I wanted to ask you is, we've discussed this a little bit, but can you quickly talk to us about what your thoughts are on excessive cardio for athletes in the off-season, for example, uh, Aussie rules football players starting pre-season, um, you know, November, even October, yep. um, and just absolutely smashing the conditioning at early stages. Yeah, I think um, this one's a good one because um, we're kind of stuck in the 1980s still with how we go about things. At, I'm talking about amateur-based clubs. 
So when I talk about the 1980s, back in the 1980s, they used to believe in, you know, static stretching, which within a whole program, static stretching is great. In my opinion, before any explosive um, dynamic movement uh, or um, training or games, it's ineffective. It doesn't decrease chance injury. Most of the time, it probably increased chance injury because it slows down the neurological response. Um, but... Uh, the big thing is a lot of uh, footballers in general, they talk about getting kilometers in their legs. They do a lot of bodybuilding split part programming. They do heaps of cardio in the up pre-season period. For the footballers out there, for any sport in general, I want to think if you're in a field-based sport, during the season, you'll be running majority of the season. So anywhere you can get off-legs conditioning or you can do some form of GPP, general physical preparedness, some sort of... Um, uh, just general conditioning work, which doesn't involve running, it's a good thing because you're going to do that during the season. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, but there are more effective ways of developing work capacity, aerobic capacity, than just doing cardio alongside distance running, which actually, for everyone out there, if you don't understand, it will actually decrease your strength, power, and speed. And that's something that, you know, that's something you want to hold on to as a football player, as a rugby player, as a soccer player. You need speed, you need power. You need strength as well. So, I mean, my biggest thing is the shift on um, more effective means of developing work capacity during that period. At Woodford SSC, um, across our all four centres, every um, off-pre-season period, we implement um, uh, pretty much – we do a stock um, conditioning phase – and that can involve anything like implement-based training, which could be prowlers, it could be battle ropes, it could be med ball slams, it could be farmer's walks, it could be barbell complexes, anything where we're kind of just doing something different where it just doesn't really involve as much running um, and it's implement-based work, um, and they're still going to get some sort of conditioning effect, which is really good. As we get close to the season, that's when we can get more specific with our running-based work. Um if the athletes wanted to do some sort of running base work in the off preseason period, I'm a big believer in um, getting your condition for skills. So um, if everyone's listening out there, I'm a big fan of um, Darren Burgess, who's at Port Adelaide, and he talks a lot about small-sided games. So what they do at, at, um, what they do is they get in a normal-sized ground, and instead of playing 18-on-18, um, 18 18, they might go 9-on-9. Nine nine. So they've actually half the players. Um, but the thing, the great thing about that is you're hitting two birds, one stone, because you're getting the skill adaptation, the, the, the technical tattoo adaptation, and you're getting the conditioning adaptation in terms of muscular motor padding, metabolic pathway. So I'm, I'm really a big believer in small-sided games. You don't even have to play football. You could even play soccer, something different, but you're still getting the conditioning effect in the old preseason, um, and you've just shortened, you know, you, you've got less players, so the athletes have to work to a high intensity, and they have to cover more ground. So... That's something that um, you can implement that kind of instead of just doing your traditional long, slow distance running. And also, just quickly before I finish on this question, I want you to think in a game of sport, when are athletes ever, well, when are footballers, when are rugby players, when are soccer players, when are any sport running for prolonged periods of time? It never happens. It's all stop starts. So you need to train, you need to prepare your athletes better for the sport. So that's why I talk about interval training, fartleks being a more effective way of developing work capacity, aerobic capacity than just long so distance running or training like an endurance runner. Awesome. I think a heap of people could take a lot of value from that. And um, again, it's something that's slowly starting to improve, but 
Yeah, it's good. So the last question I wanted to hit you with before we finish up is yeah. um, we've actually done a blog on this before, but could you give us three tips for strength testing? So in preparation for strength testing to improve your one rep maxes, um, three of your top tips. For for one uh, RMs. One RM testing, yeah. Okay, I think I've have I been I think I've been through this with you before, but I'll go over it again. Um, I think the biggest thing is um, I wouldn't want any um, who's any athlete who's never done a one RM before. You don't want to take someone who's a, a novice. When I say a novice, never trained before, and just kind of throw them in the squat rack, uh, and then just get them squat or deadlift straight away at one RM. So they need to have some sort of the first. First um, tip I'd give, they've got to have some sort of um, background in strength training because it is heavily neurally um, taxing. It taxes your joints as well. So if you don't have that background, I wouldn't do it. So make sure kind of the athlete knows the movement. Remember, strength training is a skill. It's a motor skill. So there's a skill of expression and strength. So the athlete has to learn the movement first. They've got to acclimatize the movement. So... They've got to learn the movement first, number one. Number two, make sure you're giving an, uh, enough rest periods. Um, I see a lot of the time, um, and that's not to say that you have to give 20-minute rest periods between sets, but you should have stock rest periods, you know, and for maximal strength training where there's a heavy high neural, high muscular load, you want full as much as possible full neuromuscular recovery so you can maintain that intensity. Um, what, it, it depends on your time constraints as well, Danny. Um, but I would say anywhere between three to five, five to eight minutes, depending on your time constraints and how high level the athlete is. Um, an athlete that is higher level, has high neural recruitment, can recruit more motor units. When I say motor units, pretty much muscle fibers, so they can produce more of a force. They're going to have to have longer recovery. The last one is um, make sure when you do the test the first time, when you try and reproduce the test, you do it in the exact same conditions. Okay, it's got to ha- it's got to be reliable. It's got to be valid. Um, I've seen a lot of people they change the the conditions and how they do it. They change the rest periods. Um, they change how they set up. And, and they change the the, the warm up sets. You should do everything the same like you did the first time, the second time, the third time. The conditions have to be the same for it to, for the data to be reliable because um, I think testing is important um, for strength diagnosis, for power, for um, uh, just for quantitative objective data, which is better than subjective data. Um, objective data is critical because it's factual. But at the same time, it has to be the same across the all boards, regardless if you're testing strength, power, speed, agility, um, uh, aerobic capacity, repeat effort, whatever it is, it should be the same across the board. So they're my three big tips when you are testing 1RMs. And also the last one, just a quick one, is just be very careful. Um, don't make a joke of it because you can get injured. We've tested over a 1,000 athletes at my facilities across the board. We've never had one injury. So you shouldn't have an inj- uh, uh, You should never have um, issues um, with injury when you're testing. I mean, it, 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 testing can always be safe. And don't ever listen to someone saying that 1RMs are dangerous. They're not dangerous. They're dangerous if you don't understand how to implement them properly. Thanks, Ace, man. So we're probably going to have to wrap it up there. There's so much more that we could have talked about, and I know you've got plenty of stuff that you could share with us, but um, yeah. maybe we can do another episode in the future. Is there anything, any last things that you wanted to kind of um, mention or um, or anything yeah. before we wrap it up? Yeah, if anyone's got any questions with me, um, I'm sure people have a lot of um, how I started because everyone wants to know. Um, that's one question I get all the time, how I started Woodford SSC, how it grew to what it is today, how it grew so quickly. Um, 
If you've got any questions about, especially my area, about rehab of the hamstring, the back or their ACL knee um, or strength power speed development, you can hit me up at Christian at WoodfordSSC.com or you can go on the Woodford Facebook page or you can go on the ChristianWoodford.com Facebook page and kind of um, see what we do there. We'll see how we train our athletes. A lot of videos for you guys to kind of um, – and uh, as I said to Danny – that's the reason why I started this is to really expose applied sports science, what high-performance training is. So a lot of videos, a lot of write-ups on applied sports science. Have a read and just really upskill yourself on what athlete development is. Um, to you, Dave, thanks for letting me come on the show, and I'd love to come back next few weeks. If if anyone has any extra questions, Danny can ask me the questions. Once again, I'm always developing the industry and really pushing it forward. So thanks very much, Danny, and thanks to listeners for listening. No worries, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. And, yeah, we'll definitely get another episode in soon and um, cover some of the stuff we haven't been able to get get on top of today. Ooh. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Thanks, mate.